I'm Stephanie Cox, and this is Mobile Matters. Today, I'm joined by Mark Wozniak. Mark is the Associate Director of Digital for PPG Architectural Coatings and responsible for leveraging digital CRM marketing, e-commerce, and digital experiences to drive growth. His team supports dozens of B2B and B2C brands and channels across North America and Europe. In this episode, Mark and I talk a lot about how he became an accidental digital marketer, if most marketers are overspending in digital, and why a silver bullet for marketing doesn't exist no matter how hard we all might look for one. And make sure you stick around to the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways so that you can not only think about marketing differently, but implement it effectively. Welcome to the show, Mark. So tell me a little bit about how you got started in your career and how you got to the role that you're in today. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I was kind of struck last week uh, in one of your previous episodes where you talked to Ryan and who, who knew he wanted to be a CMO at some ridiculously young age. At 10. Yeah, 10. Uh, I didn't even know CMO existed at 10. Uh, and so that's not me, right? Um, when, I was, when I was young, I actually I was really, really focused on wanting to be a writer. Uh, and so that's what I pursued in school. So from an academic standpoint, I have almost no marketing training at all uh, in, in terms of college or university. Um, and I really enjoyed writing, but as I got through my, my academic career in college, I, I realized I also really liked uh, not, not being poor. And so writing in the way that I was pursuing was not necessarily a sustainable career from a financial standpoint. So I, I quickly found that my writing expertise translated fairly well into marketing and advertising. Uh, and after some internships and some jobs after school, I was into copywriting and advertising and marketing. And that's kind of how I got into the space. Uh, and at the same time, that's really when digital and social media and these things really started to emerge. And um, just, you know, because I was the young guy at the agency, a lot of that stuff fell to my plate and, and happened to have an interest in that as well. And that's trying to kind of progressed over the last 10, 15 years uh, since since I came out of school. Uh, so that's, you know, it's kind of an accidental uh, career into digital, um, and, but I've, I've really enjoyed it uh, so far. It's interesting that you say that because I feel like when I talk to people, especially that are in like their mid to late 30s, maybe early 40s, they have very similar stories and they say, you know, like I know for me, I went to college thinking I wanted to be a newspaper reporter. Thankfully, like I realized the error of my ways my freshman year and stopped with that because I don't even think I, well, one, I would have hated it and two, to your point, I would have been poor and I probably wouldn't have a job right now because um, I don't even think my kids even know what a newspaper is, but you know, I got into digital specifically because, you know, when I got my first marketing job out of school, social media was starting to take off. People were getting websites for the first time, which I know sounds crazy to think about, but that was happening 15 years ago. And I was the young person. They're like, well, you understand technology. You go figure this out. Yeah. And so a lot of us, I think, just came into it because we happened to be starting our careers when digital was like really starting for the first time. Yeah. And so, you know, we have to be opportunistic, right? As, as, as I think we graduated college roughly the same time frame, and uh, there were challenges with the economy and the job market. So it wasn't exactly our choice to go out there and, and pursue certain things, but you got to make the most of it. So one of the reasons why you kind of decided to come on the podcast is I had posted something on LinkedIn talking about one of my personal pet peeves, which is this idea that as marketers, we have so much great information to share about what works for us, what doesn't work for us. But I find so many people are like afraid to share like 
their secrets or their silver bullets or really like being honest about like, hey, I tried this and I failed miserably. Like you shouldn't do it either. So you kind of spoke up and we're like, that could be an entire podcast episode. And I was like, well, awesome. Let's have you on the podcast and talk about it. So in that light, why do you think marketers are so afraid of sharing what they're doing, whether it's working, whether it's not? Like, why are we afraid to talk about it honestly? Yeah, it's so interesting to me. And I, and I think it's consistent with the general cultural fear of failure or admitting faults or trying something and it not working, right? So I think we're kind of cognizant of it because it's our area in marketing and um, probably more so than other areas, we glamorize these case studies um, and use cases where there's seemingly a ton of success around something so simple. And that might be a silver bullet or whatever it might be. And um, I think that kind of creates pressure on us to feel like we need to do the same success. And I think so often when you dig into a lot of those use cases or success stories, there's not a ton of substance there. Um, and so we kind of create this culture of fear of, of not living up to those standards. Um, also, I think there's just not really silver bullets out there, right? I mean, as much as we've grown up in digital and uh, there's this new world with all these different tools and platforms and advertising units and, and whatever it might be, the basic fundamentals of marketing haven't changed. Um, and I think we've, we've kind of forgotten that a bit. Uh, and so uh, I think we just don't know how to kind of reconcile uh, everything that's happening in the digital space with, with what's happening in traditional space. And it's causing kind of an anxiety of like, how do I, how do I know or celebrate what's being done or how do I be forthcoming? Because all of my peers seem to be doing these really great digital campaigns and we're doing digital campaigns too. I'm not quite sure if they're good uh, or if they're getting the results that I, I'm supposed to be getting here and everybody kind of just stays a bit mum about it. Um, so yeah, I, I don't, I, I wish it was a bit more open. Um, and I think probably more than successes is, is the sharing of failures uh, that could be yes. cool because I mean, we're all trying a hundred different things, uh, probably to our own detriment. Um, but uh, with those hundred different things, you know, if 90% of them don't work out or don't meet our expectations, that's okay. Uh, but how can we give a heads up to somebody else who might be going down the same path? I think that's one of the things that to me is the most frustrating is there's so many things that we all try that we all fail on. And if we were just share that, it could have saved someone else from trying it and failing on it. Or they could have said like, oh, it didn't work for you like this. What if we tried it like X or I tried it and put this spin on it and it was successful to me. I just wonder how many times we've all spent, especially money on new technologies where everyone else is failing on it. But for some reason it has a ton of buzz, especially like on... I, this is my number one pet peeve around social media is that sometimes you see companies, especially a lot in the SaaS world, talking about how wonderful their product is and all these great, you know, success stories. And then when you people start using it based on that and realize, well, it doesn't actually do what I need it to do for me, but their marketing was fantastic because <laughs> they got me to buy it. Yeah. And so, if anybody should see through that, it's us, right? Or we're marketers we right? behind the scenes a bit. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And, and, you know, I think like anyone, when you want to onboard a new technology or even try a, a new campaign or media, whatever it might be, all I want to do is talk to somebody who's using it, right? And that's incredibly yep. hard to find sometimes, right? So you'll get the best recommendations from a SaaS company, right? Um, but I just want to like tap into a user group of like, can I go to your forums or can I go to your user conference and talk to the people actually struggling with this? Because, um, you know, it, the technology itself might be great, but, you know, Again, 
what has to sit on top of it? What has to integrate with it? How does it work with the rest of my systems and technology? I mean, these are all the questions that make or break um, so much of that stuff. So um, it's that, that kind of one-to-one -one connection again, if you wanted to share with other marketers why you've got this really cool technology and it works for you or, or probably more importantly, why it doesn't. And your point around, you know, the technology, what it needs to connect to and all those things. The other part of that is like, what kind of resources do I need? Like what people do I need on my team to even implement it? That's one thing that I find a lot of people don't share. They're like, oh, this new channel worked great for me. What they don't say is like they needed five people to implement it. It took seven months, took like X number of dollars. Now that's two people's full-time job to do. Well, if you don't have those types of resources, you buying the technology is not, it's not going to solve your problem. It's going to create new problems for you. Yeah. And, and so what I hear there is, and, and we're, we're not good at this either, is how did you calculate the value of that platform for you, for your business? Mm -hmm. We we can talk about what it costs and, and we understand that, but really, especially when you talk about the SaaS world, the challenge is not the, the platform cost or the technology cost, it's that support, right? So is it, is it my team? Do I have to pay for support costs? Um, how does this scale over two or three years? Are they going to drop this technology in my lap and then I have to figure it out you know, completely on my own. Um, those things add up and, and, and it's not something we, we really talk about. And um, uh, that's where the, those costs add up. And as you kind of sign up for that cost and go back to your leaders to say this was or wasn't valuable for us, you have to factor those things in. And sometimes it's really hard to figure those things out because the companies may not be forthcoming or you don't have access to other users to help you kind of triangulate what you think might work for your business. Mm -hmm. One of the things you just mentioned was um, going back to leadership. One of the things that I know I've struggled with in my career, and it seems like almost every marketer I've talked to has struggled with this as well, is this idea that, you know, when we have the problem that everyone thinks that they can do marketing. <laughs> so that's one problem. Um, but the second problem I think we face a lot from leadership is this idea that, you know, and I, f I find it most with like CEOs that they have this idea that there's this, there really is a silver bullet out there, that there is the solution that solves all of your problems, creates all of your leads, helps you hit all of your sales targets, and why aren't you just going out and finding it? And then they look at, especially your competitive set, and oftentimes we'll see, well, it looks like they're being super successful with this channel. It looks like they're being super successful doing this. Why aren't we doing this? And what's funny about it is that doesn't mean they're being successful. They could be doing that and spending you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars on like search and like SEM, search engine marketing and not seeing any results whatsoever. So how do you handle that situation where you get so much outside pressure from other people that are trying to say, you know, why aren't we doing X, Y, or Z? If we did this, it would help us, you know, meet the results that we need. Yeah. And, and like you said, I think that's something everybody, everybody's kind of faced with. And if ever, if anybody does have a silver bullet for handling that, I'd love to hear it. Um, I think a few things, right? I mean, everybody has an opinion on marketing uh, or advertising because we're all consumers of it. And so we get a thousand messages a day. So why shouldn't we have an informed opinion of what that should look like for our own brands and company, right? And, and that makes sense. And so I think there's uh, a degree of how we manage that in terms of listening um, uh, in a meaningful way, but also kind of educating to say, here's why or why not we think this is good a good fit for us. Um, from the competitive standpoint, yeah, that, that's something we see a lot of and we're, we're highly um, uh, aware of what our competitors are doing or even others in our industry are doing uh, and then uh, how we react to that if we react to it. So I, I think a few things we try to do there is um, 
stay up to date and ahead of the competitive set, right? So if you're reacting to messaging coming from your leadership about what your competitors are doing, you're already on your heels. Um, so as we see, especially in the digital space, usually when our competitor does something, we're, we kind of know about it, let's say a day or two or a week ahead of maybe leadership will see it. Um, we try to be proactive and reach out ahead of time to say, hey, we see one of our competitors doing this effort and start to frame the, nor the narrative proactively as opposed to trying to kind of feel the message and triage it and, and react to it. Um, so keeping tabs on those kind of hot button topics that you know are going to come your way when they when they make it public uh, out there can kind of get you the first step in the door and help kind of control the, the story a bit more. Um, and then also if you have data, of course, to talk about why or why not you're doing certain things or why you may have evaluated that channel or that activity or platform uh, and roll it out, uh, or maybe you have done a test against it to, to expose that back to say, hey, here's why we're not, we don't have a TikTok strategy or something like that, right? So um, uh, I, I think just getting ahead of the questions is, is the most successful way, because I think a lot of the questions you get from leadership that are structured that way come from a place of maybe mistrust, right? Why aren't my people doing this? I don't maybe trust that they know what's best for the brands or the business and are out there doing those things. Um, and if that's the case, then you really got to get ahead of that message and demonstrate that you have thought of these things, you're working with your teams or your agencies to kind of get ahead of it. Um, and it's something you've thought through as part of your strategy or your media plan for the year. Um, and there's an educated choice behind why you are or not uh, participating in that. There's a couple of things I love that you said. First was TikTok, because as you were talking about new technologies, all I was thinking was like TikTok, should I be doing TikTok? I have no idea. Some people are saying yes. And I'm like, but why would I use TikTok as a marketer for my brand? So we should talk about that later. But then also, I love what you said about getting ahead of you know, what your competitors are doing and sharing that with leadership, I find so many people are almost like afraid for to say like, oh, you know, my competitor is doing X, Y, and Z and making people aware of that, which is so hilarious because we all know we're going to get that late night text or email that says, I just saw this billboard. I just saw this big mm -hmm. video strategy. Why aren't we doing this? What's our plan around it? And being proactive and having, to your point, data, or at least some sort of strategic reason why you are or aren't doing that. Um, I think really helps to your point, frame that narrative. Yeah. Yeah. You've got to get ahead of it. And, um, you know, we'll, you, let's talk about TikTok for a second. Right. So, um, and, and TikTok I use as a representation of any shiny new object that comes across our desks, you know, a hundred times a year, whether it's a social network or whether it's a SaaS tool or whether it's, um, a startup in a DTC space that's causing risks within your business because people are asking, why aren't we doing that type of thing? Um, you know, it's so much about, um, not it depends on your industry right but we're not an industry at least in our company where we need to be like these rapid first adopters to this type of technology we are in a position where um we have to be a little bit more uh choiceful with our dollars um, we're not the biggest spender in our category um and so we're totally fine uh waiting to see how these things play out so if a year from now TikTok is a major player in the social media scene they are a core platform for our our key customer segments or audiences, and there's a there's a valid reason why we should be there, then we'll evaluate it, right? But it's, it's saying no in the first six months as these things emerge and letting them play out um, to kind of trust what's going to happen in the marketplace and then react accordingly 
I think the reaction to things like that are also in pursuit of a silver bullet. So as we think, see things like this come across our desk, we go, maybe this is the thing that's going to be that silver bullet. And that's a false promise, right? Those things don't exist. It hasn't existed for the history of marketing. Uh, TikTok is not going to save your business by itself. Um, so I think it's just having that trust in yourselves and in your marketing teams to to say, we know what's best for us. If it's TikTok, that's great, but we can also be a little bit choiceful for how we how we pursue things like that. So in that vein, what do you think most marketers are like really struggling to figure out today? Or what's your biggest challenge that you're kind of constantly wrestling with at a strategic level? It's uh, a really good question. I, I think a lot of it is, um, I'll speak more categorically in the industry and then because you know I'm, I'm more on the digital side and less on the brand side but um i think what i'm what i'm seeing more of is how do we balance all the noise and change uh perceived change in the digital space with um traditional marketing or, or brand strategy or all of the kind of uh academic frameworks and structures we know about well, about marketing in general um and I think what you see emerging and what I see emerging for some of the key voices that I, I trust in the industry is there seems to be uh, a struggle on marketers' behalf to understand um, and interpret the role of digital um, within the marketing mix. Uh, and that I'm, I was probably speaking more from a, di- from a media perspective than, than maybe mm-hmm. other Um I think Adidas just came out this week and said, we we admit to over-investing in digital over the last few years. We swung the pendulum too far. And I, I think we've done the same thing. And I, and I say that as the digital guy who has the biggest kind of stake in the game. Um, I think a lot of companies have. I think we've, we've chased a lot of the digital shiny objects um, without a ton of good data and measurement. And unless you're kind of an e-commerce company or a digital-only company, um, that's a tough place to be. I think we're seeing the value of the traditional marketing channels. Um, that hasn't really changed. I think we've seen behaviors in the traditional marketing channels not really change as much as people have said they would. Um, and so I think we need to kind of get back to basics a little bit and, and don't be afraid to kind of underinvest or pull investment out of digital to go back into the things that we know have traditionally worked um, and also use kind of the, the traditional measurement frameworks to, to do that as well. I, don't, I think we get caught up in a lot of digital metrics and, and KPIs uh, and, and go that direction because we feel it's more measurable. Um, but as you step back and try to look at the whole media mix, I, I don't think digital necessarily gives you more unless, unless you have that direct conversion online. So I think it's kind of understanding how to reconcile those two major places that you could spend or put effort. Um, and then of course they're, they're blending together. So, um, you know, as, as digital and traditional kind of come, come together, it's, it's not an either or strategy, but, um, but I think that's still how a lot of us still approach it. I completely agree. One of the things when I think about digital, and I've spent most of my career in that space as well, is that we all swung the pendulum. And then what we did is we just created, we created more noise and we're all doing like collectively the same channels now to the Mm -hmm. same extent. And some of the, you know, like I would say like the older school channels that have been around for a long time have been neglected. And so when people start doing them again, it's kind of like it's new. So I think about like B2B marketing, right? We've, really went away from doing any sort of direct mail. And now, you know, there's this big pendulum swinging back to direct mail that started to happen. And part of the reason is because it always has worked. Now, is it more expensive than sending an email? A hundred percent, but it also works 
better. And I think what's funny about it now is everyone's like, oh, direct mail's back. And I'm like, direct mail never died. Yeah. We just we just chased another shiny object at the moment because there was a new channel that looked like it would drive results faster. It probably did when we got started because there was low-hanging fruit. And so we invested all of our time into it instead of taking a step back saying, okay, yes, there's low-hanging fruit, but are we going to continue to see the same results after three months, after six months, after a year? Or do we plateau that, but we're still throwing the same amount of money in it? Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, and, and you know, direct mail versus email, um, TV ads versus over-the-top TV, right? There's there's parallels all throughout the different the different media channels that rely on from a digital and traditional perspective. So I completely agree, and I think um, it just goes back to measuring the value of what you're doing, right? So if you if you step back and say, how do I measure my marketing as if digital didn't exist, right? And I didn't spend any of my money in digital, then I think you should extend extend those same methodologies, structure, framework, and scrutiny um, into the digital realm. And I think so often we we measure digital differently. Uh, for some reason, right? It's either because the data is different, there's an overwhelming amount of data. Uh, we're relying on benchmarks that, as you said, as there's more noise in the industry and a lot more competitiveness, those benchmarks are shifting monthly in terms of CPMs or cost per clicks and things like that. So um, I think if we kind of try to step up a level or two and not get so caught up in campaign level or ad level metrics and start to look at the value metrics of are we driving brand consideration? Are we driving sales? Are we moving the needle on, on how our brand's being perceived in the marketplace? Um, that's where you got to kind of have to go to kind of understand how you swing the pendulum back in, in the other direction. But that's also the hardest part, right? To figure out. It requires a lot of data, a lot of analysis, a lot of times looking across multiple different data sets and points. Sometimes you don't always own all the data for it. So that for me, that's one of the things that I think most marketers struggle with. And I th think that the challenge that they have with it is it's real easy for me to tell you how successful a campaign was. I can go Google Analytics, tell you how many website visits I drove. I can tell you how many app downloads I drove. But what I can't tell you a lot of times is how did that affect the bottom line unless I'm an e-commerce company? Mm -hmm. um, and that's really how we should be measured is based on how are we contributing to our market share? How are we contributing to the bottom line of sales? And a lot of marketers I find are scared to be held accountable to that because they don't even understand how to, they could figure it out, let alone um, set the right goals for themselves or around it. Yeah. And I think there, that's a huge uh, share of marketers challenge. It's probably underrepresented in trade publications and blog posts and podcasts. And I it's hard, it's complex, it's also really expensive, right? If you want to go grab yes. data and measure it annually around the impact of your brand on sales, there's a huge swath of marketers out there that can't afford that um, or don't have the resources to pursue those type of customer insights, brand insights. So uh, it's a huge pain point that kind of goes unaddressed. Um, and so for, for, for that part of the market um, uh, and skill set that's out there that doesn't have those resources, I think that's why it's so important to be able to see through the digital noise because if you if you follow the trends and you follow the the media within our within the marketing industry, you're going to be led astray. There's an overrepresentation of uh, shiny objects and what they can do for your brand versus I think the the staples that we maybe should rely on a little bit more. So you're going a ton off of gut feel. Um, 
Um, and you, you know, it's tough to say no to the trends because you may be perceived as somebody who's not in touch or not following the industry. Um, and that's one of the hardest things we do, I think, as marketers or as digital marketers is to, to say, no, I don't believe there's value in this or we got to wait to see if there's value in this. Um, but we got, you got to kind of stick it out um, and, and trust your gut. And I think that's where the network kind of comes into place. We talked a lot about how do we get away from talking about these these glamorous case studies and, and be able to share our successes and failures with other markets. I mean, for, the, for those group of marketers that don't have access to the resources or dollars uh, to maybe put forward some of the, the harder metrics around measurement, I, we have to rely on each other, right? I mean, and, and to mm-hmm. help this massive amount of noise in the digital space and frankly, a lot of the bullshit that's out there around what can work for you and, and what can't work for you. So I think we can all do a better job of, of helping each other out there. We've talked about shiny objects a little bit already, but how do you know when something's a shiny object versus something that actually should be considered? You know, my first thought is TikTok, right? Is that a shiny object or is that a real channel that we should think about? I've heard marketers tell me that like, you need to get on TikTok immediately. It's going to like dominate video. And I'm super confused because when I get on it, I'm like, it looks like it's for 13 year olds. So maybe I'm wrong. (laughs) But how do you figure out like what's a shiny object and what's really a good channel or a good technology that you should seriously consider or even invest in testing? From from the digital and the social side, two things. One is, are your customers there, right? So yeah, TikTok, largely a teenage demographic, right? So my, my customers aren't there, so I'm, I'm ignoring it for the most part. Uh, if it gets to the point like Snap, kind of started the same way it started as a much younger, younger demographic and now it's grown into be into the millennial audience so maybe there's a case now for snap to be made for for our business um but if our customer's not there then, then it's a hard no we stopped the kind of logic flow chart we don't have to, to worry about it and we can check in you know six months from now and see if there's an evolution i think the other big thing especially in the social media platforms is um the maturity of the ad business right so you've seen if you advertised on Facebook five years ago and you advertise on Facebook today, you know, it's a, it's a world difference in terms of what the ad experience looks like from a client perspective and how you place, run and get metrics back on, on your advertising. So as you th- see things like Snap and TikTok and, and Pinterest, even for a while, the, the maturity of their ad business, their ad platform and your ability as a client to self-serve or your agency to self-serve was, was really challenging. And so don't undervalue the idea of, yes, it may be a, an emerging social network and there may be people flocking to it, um, but if you can't effectively run an ad unit and measure it, it's still not, it's still not very good to you as a business. So you got to kind of kind of pair those two things together and say, are my customers there? If so, can I effectively reach them? Do they have the targeting, the demographics, the user data? for me to do that? Do they have the ad units that fit my category uh, or my business? Uh, and kind of work backwards from that. And it's so important to what you said earlier is channels are changing so much. You really have to understand how the channel works now and what works better to your point around Facebook. It's changed a lot in the last five years. I feel like it's changed a lot, even in the last you know two years, especially since some of the stuff they've done after the election around ads. So Mm -hmm. what's fascinating to me is that, you know, you could, especially as a digital marketer, as you grow in your career, you typically get your hands less dirty. 
in some of those channels. And when you move into a new role, you might have to get your hands dirty again and be responsible for some of the stuff or be responsible for teaching others how to do it. And so it's so important to either stay up to date on what's happening in those channels or find partners that can help share and help you figure out what your strategy should be because what worked even a year ago may not work today. Yeah. Yeah. You hit it. It's a full-time job just to keep up with ad unit changes on the social platforms, right? Like there's a, there's a new one every week. Um, and to understand how the carousel format changes and what it means for us and how there's shoppable ads on Instagram and what that, like that, that's, that's a full-time job, right? And so if you're highly involved in the social space from a media spend perspective, you have to stay up to date on those things or have your agency be a trusted partner to be able to educate you on what those things can mean for you. And then uh, again, should you be an early adopter in those things? Should you kind of let some benchmarks come out for a couple of months and see how, how the market's reacting to those things? Or do you want to go run a test with a small percentage of your budget to see if there's value there? Those are the things that you kind of have to look at and evaluate. Um, but also, again, you don't need to chase it at a daily level. And I think we have this FOMO on these things and feel like we we need to be up to date. And that if somebody asks us about this new ad unit and we don't know what it is, that we look like a failure or we're uninformed uh, on something in our industry. And it's such a granular piece of what we do that I don't think we should be so scared of saying, yeah, you know, I haven't heard about that, but we'll look into that and then see if that's a good fit for, for our campaigns or for our business. Um, but it, it's, it's a challenge to, uh, to stay up to date with all of those things. So for new marketers that are kind of coming into their field, just starting their career, where do you think they should spend their time? Like what should they start learning? Um, I mean, learn from the people around you first and foremost. I mean, if you're starting your career and you've, you've joined a business, um, then most of the marketers around you, unless you're kind of a one-man show, are going to have some experience that, that you should learn from and should help orient you in the industry. Um, and learn the things that are going to benefit your career in the short term uh, as well um, to help you kind of learn and, and grow in your in your immediate future. Um, I think the, the other big thing is... Um, find a mentor, whether that's an actual in-person direct mentor that you can find in your company or within your peer group, um, but also kind of the informal mentors uh, in, the, in the category of the industry that are talking about marketing in general that are trusted uh, or liable or aren't chasing the trends themselves. So again, there's so much noise out there in digital. And if you watch every Gary B LinkedIn video, I think you're going to have your head spinning in 30 days about what you should be doing as a marketer. And most of it's wrong. So yep. I think you seek out some, some stability in your life in terms of, um, uh, reinforcing the, the fundamentals of what you should be doing as a marketer. And I think you'll learn that probably best from, from those around you. Um, uh, again, there's a huge part of, of what we do every day that is not sexy, that doesn't make it into ad age. And I think that's where you need to start, uh, unfortunately, um, and, uh, learn those basics and understand how the sausage gets made. Um, and you can start being informed enough to have opinions, um, around more strategic, you know, level decisions and how, and how to manage. So I love how you just talked about how the sausage gets made. Cause I think that's like truth telling time, right? Marketing is not as glamorous as people think it is. A lot of what we do every single day, especially in digital is very operational. It's trying to figure out like how we get our data, data to be better. How do we get this old legacy platform that is our homegrown CRM to integrate with literally anything so we can use the data. How do you think about managing 
the nitty gritty of reality, especially as you work as at an enterprise organization, it's something that no one talks about, but it's the reality for almost all of us. Yeah. And I take pride in it, right? I, and nobody talks about it. And it's the, the least sexy part of our jobs, uh, as, as most people think about it, but I think it's probably the most valuable piece, right? Um, uh, and probably underrecognized uh, from, from, let's say, a leadership perspective, not necessarily here in, in our company, but I think just more broadly, right? Because there's so much nitty gritty and so many details, and it's this hybrid skill set of IT and technical work and knowing enough about data and systems and integrations and, and uh, technical architecture to be dangerous, but also needing to know the, the business side and the marketing side to know where you want to go strategically and how we align everything that sits below the surface in our company to, to enable those goals. Um, so I think we probably spend as a team um, 60, 75% of our time on, on this, this kind of work. And this is translating business requirements into IT so that we can understand how we action against it and translating the reasons why our legacy systems and infrastructure don't work back to the business to, to help them set expectations, understand what our limitations are. Um, and so I, I tell our team all the time, one of our primary roles in the organization is we're a digital team. We sit between marketing, we sit between IT, we're translators. Um, and there's value in that. It sounds unsexy and it sounds basic. Um, but uh, where I see a lot of our other projects falling down or maybe struggling is because there's a lack of, of, a lack of translators in between there and, and kind of this weird hybrid role between a business analyst and a, and a digital marketer that helps bridge the gap from two legacy functions that typically have worked directly together. But as you kind of jump into the digital world, depending on the skill set and either of those functions, that may not work. There may be a big, big gap between those two languages. Um, and so I, I don't know, I really enjoy that part. I think it's, um, I think it's really valuable. I think we accelerate a lot of, of initiatives and projects that may otherwise go back and forth a hundred times before can actually get talking to the same language. Um, and, uh, I think that's probably very common in enterprises or, or large companies. And again, not represented anywhere, um, cause it's really hard to talk about. It's really hard to articulate. Um, it's also difficult to, to kind of determine the value and you really need some some good leadership above you to advocate for that kind of work and understand that it's so necessary. It's the day-to-day -day operations of, of what gets done. Um, it's probably one of the best things we do as a team. Um, and, and I think it probably is, is uh, one of the more valuable contributions we make to our company. No, I completely agree. But it's also the hardest one to explain to everyone else why you have to do it or why you can't do these other things because you have to do really the groundwork and build the foundation, get your you know, house in order before you can set out on some of these new technologies, new channels, or you know, implement a new strategy. Yeah, that's such a good point, right? We talked about the shiny new objects and 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 some of them will work for us, right? But um, they, they don't go anywhere for you if you don't have a solid foundation underneath them. And, and these are all technologies, right? And so if you sit them on top of bad data, bad integrations, half-built ERPs or CRMs, yep. it's just all down with it. And so um, trying to enable our... Uh, operational effectiveness a bit better uh, is, is crucial. And as you know, we enter you know, 20, 30 years of the digital era, um, you're dealing with legacy decisions um, and technologies that you have to, you have to deal with uh, before you can start moving ahead and innovating and, and disrupting. Um, and again, 
not sexy stuff, um, but uh, I think companies who can manage their legacy technology uh, well are, are better positioned to advance quicker because they're not stuck in the past. All right. So one of the last things I want to do is do something called quick hits. I'm going to ask you four questions and you just got to give me kind of what comes to your mind first. So what, All right. what's one thing you wish every marketer would do? Say no more. So uh, I, I think everybody knows when they should say no in most cases, and they feel like they want to say no, but they may not feel empowered or supported uh, to say no. And again, we, we work in a field where everybody's consumer of marketing and has an opinion on it. Um, so being able to say no um, in a meaningful way while listening to the actual need that's coming across, uh, I think is, is really important because otherwise we get caught up uh, when we say yes too much and, and chasing all these different threads and it, and it boxes down. What's one thing you wish marketers would stop doing? I think we hit on it. I think uh, stop with the BS, right? Yeah. One thing we could do is kind of um, kind of share our honest opinions, but we could also, on the inverse side, stop spouting BS about things. Um, so let's admit when we're not really sure about something, let's let's maybe not drum up a bunch of false success on something that doesn't really drive value for the business and uh, be a little bit more honest with each other. What's the one thing you think every marketer should know? I'll call back to, I think we're probably overspending in digital. And again, saying that as somebody who's, who's made my entire career in the space um, and only stands to benefit from more spending in digital, um, I, I think we we um, I think we need to take a hard look at, at where those dollars are going. Um, and if they could be working harder for us somewhere else. And last, what's the most frustrating thing about marketing? I think the perception of change, right? I think every single deck and pitch you see starts with the world's changing faster than it ever has. And in some ways that's true, that's true, but I think in most ways it's, it's not. Um, I think if you went back 20 years, you would hear the same thing. Um, so I, I think it's kind of creating a barrier against that change and a buffer against that change to say things, the fundamentals of what we do every day aren't really that different than they were 25 years ago. Um, and we can kind of embrace that stability to find more uh, solid ground underneath our feet. I thoroughly enjoyed my conversation with Mark because he's definitely a marketing truth teller, which to me is a breath of fresh air these days when so much of the content you see on social media is about how marketers are doing so great. Give me a break. Marketing is hard. There is no silver bullet. And Mark and I both agree that everyone would just be much better off if we'd start being honest about what's working and most importantly, what's not. Now let's drive into my top three takeaways from our conversation. First, marketing isn't as glamorous as some people might think it is. I think that perception is likely because what you see on social media primarily shows how great everything went and the incredible results that were driven. Yep, I'm talking about all those LinkedIn posts that marketers love to make. But you and I both know it's not the truth. The truth is marketing is hard and things don't always go smoothly. Yes, your big event may have turned out to be a huge success once it was over, but how many people share that their keynote speaker canceled days before the conference or how they were 20% behind in ticket sales or how they were working 80 plus hours a week for two months leading up to it? Very few people actually tell this truth. 
Instead, they share the happy photos and stories, which causes other marketers to oftentimes feel inferior because everything isn't going as smoothly for them as it seems to be for everyone else. When the reality is, we're all likely facing the exact same challenges. That's why I believe we all need to be more transparent about what marketing is like on a daily basis and supporting each other through it all. Next, one of the most frustrating comments you can hear from a senior leader is, why aren't we doing, insert your favorite competitor, is doing on insert random channel. Trust me, I've heard this statement so many times in my career, and it drives me crazy. I've found ways to handle these discussions, but I, and I've been effective, but I think what Mark shared takes it one step further. He's proactively reaching out to senior leaders as soon as he knows what a competitor is doing from a marketing perspective and sharing his point of view of why his company is or isn't doing something similar for their brand. This is allowing him to control the narrative immediately and preventing the very question that we all dread. Personally, I think it's a brilliant concept and something we should all start doing. Finally, we all need to start saying no more. I know this is something like I personally struggle with because I want to do it all, but it's not possible from a work or personal life standpoint. But more importantly, what many of us don't realize is that the value of our yes is based on how many times we say no. So think about that for a minute. When's the last time you said no? I'm Stephanie Cox, and you've been listening to Mobile Matters. If you haven't yet, be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Until then, be sure to visit Limivate.com and subscribe to get more access to thought leaders, best practices, and all things mobile.